Well, welcome. If this is your first time here, I welcome you again. Uh, I invite you to fill out a Connect card either online or there may be some at the, at the back there. Uh, we'd just like to get to know you, some information so we can reach out and uh, tell you a little bit more about us and see how we can serve you. Um, I, I also, um, you know, if you home uh, watching on live stream or you here are, are feeling isolated, reach out to us. We, we are making an attempt to reach out to our congregation, but, you know, sometimes we fail. It slips. We don't want you to slip through the cracks, so reach out to us and tell us how you're doing, and, and maybe we can pray together. Um, but w- welcome. It, we're going through the Psalms this summer. We've been ta- we take a break from Mark. We took a break from Mark and decided to go through the Psalms this summer for several reasons, uh, to give uh, some other guys some chances to preach, uh, but, but also just to take a little break in the middle. And I really enjoyed uh, the summer in the Psalms. Uh, I hope you have, too. There's a roaring applause uh, at that, yes. <laughs> so uh, we, we have been uh, going through the psalm. We're in Psalm 90 this morning, and I uh, invite you to turn there. If you're new to our church, or, or maybe you've been around for a while, but um, you, you didn't know, like we have a specific thing that we do every Sunday morning, that is to, to worship God through um, through prayers, through singing, but also through our preaching of the word. And so we go um, expositionally through the word. That's book by book and chapter by chapter. And, and you know, we, we try to get into it. And, and we just let, we want God to set the agenda for our church and, and what, we're, what we're trying to do. And so we do that by preaching his word and trying to glean from it uh, what he has for our church in this culture, this time. And so this morning, uh, it's another kind of somber passage, actually. Last week was a lament. This is kind of a lament as well. Psalm 90 is a uh, prayer of Moses, the man of God. You know, it reminds me that every human being strives for significance, strives for meaning. You've felt it in your own life, haven't you? Another degree, more money. If I could just be an influencer, that would have meaning for my life. Or, or maybe you tried to live your life, your, you know, your dreams through your kids. Or, or you, your parents did that to you. And you try to find meaning somehow and significance. You know, meaning drove Michael Jordan uh, to be the, the greatest basketball player ever. That's, that's what he wanted to be. He wanted to be remembered as the greatest basketball player. The only one to, you know, to win three titles back to back twice. All the scoring titles, all the MVPs, all the money. He's one of the wealthiest athletes ever to live. But that significance is countered, I think, on the other side when we contemplate our life and we see meaninglessness. You know, the meaninglessness drives us to despair. It drove the the preacher in Ecclesiastes to write, you know, vanity of vanity. It's everything apart from God is meaningless. It's, it's just breath. It just, it passes away. It's like, a, it's like the breath that you breathe out. You can't see it and it's gone. That meaninglessness, that vanity dr- can drive us to this despair. You know, some of the wrong ways to get meaning out of life Lie on a resume, plagiarize a book. Like I said before, live your dreams through your your children. Those are bad ways to get 
meaning and significance in your life. And if you do do that, you'll come to the end of it and you'll be like the preacher and you'll say, meaningless. It's all meaningless. I wanted this. I got this instead. And the Bible tells a story uh, that is not only true to the pain of life, that we look for meaning and often we don't find it and that brings pain. It is, the Bible's honest about it. It doesn't, it doesn't paint a Pollyannish picture. It doesn't ignore the hard things of life. It says that life is hard and short, and then you die. But the Bible also provides a solution to that pain. And I think the aim of our passage this morning is if, if you want a life that matters, you need to confess your mortality due to sin and find life in God. If you want a life that matters, you have to confess that you're going to die. And the reason you're going to die is because you're a sinner and God's angry with you. But that doesn't end there. You can find your life in God. So we're going to see that in three parts this morning. Psalm 90 uh, I'm breaking it up in three parts. That is, number one, the eternal God meets transient man. Transient is like, it's just like Corvallis. People are here for a short time, then they're gone. It's, you know, it's, it, it, it is like people who come in and go. It's, it's like breath. It's like, well, life. That's one through six. The eternal God meets transient man. Two, the eternal God punishes sinful man. Verses seven through 11. And sinful man finds wisdom in the eternal God, verses 12 through 17. So if you want a life that matters, confess your mortality due to sin and find your life in God. Moses, the man of God, wrote this psalm. You can see it there at the beginning. It's, it's not verse 1, but it, it really should be verse 1. This is part of God's inspired word, the title, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And Moses is called this several times in the Old Testament, the man of God in Deuteronomy 33, when he's ending his life and giving a blessing to the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, the editor there at the end is saying, this was Moses, the man of God, giving God's blessing to God's people. In Joshua 14, 6, Caleb says, give me that mountain, Joshua. That, I want that one, and by faith, I'm gonna take it. And he reminds Joshua that Moses, the man of God, told Joshua and Caleb that they would not get judgment from God because they had faith that God would give them the land. This is Moses, the man of God. And in Ezra 3, 2, when the exiles are coming back from their exile, their Assyrian exile, and they settle back in Jerusalem, and they're offering their offerings on the new altar, they were doing it according to, Mo, to, to the law of Moses, the man of God. This is, Moses was a, God, uh, was a man of God's words. He was the man of God because he spoke God's words. And now he's here before us praying God's words. And he reminds us, uh, I just want to remind you that, you know, as the Psalms are broken up into five books, this is book four. And the man of God is reminding himself and God's people that God is their king. The, you know, in book three, the, 
It's sort of a book of exile and God punishing his king. But, but, but now Moses is reminding them, you know, the reason God has punished his king is because he's not your real king. Only God can be your real king. And as the people wonder if God is going to keep his covenant promise and always have a man on the throne forever, here comes Moses reminding them, along with the rest of wisdom literature, that the overall line of this of, of, of wisdom literature is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. You will get meaning out of your life when you remember that God is king over all forever. So in our English versions, verse 1 through 6, the eternal God meets transient man. And Moses tells us, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the, the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And verse one reminds us that God has been our dwelling place. He's been the dwelling place for the people of God. You know, this, this word is like, it's a dwelling, it's the refuge, it's the, it's, the, it's the word we've seen before, and that the only way that you can have meaning significance in your life is if God is your refuge. It, it emphasizes, as the, in the rest of the poem does, that, you know, humanity is homeless and rootless. But God's people, they have their dwelling place in him. And verse 2 goes on to, to, to speak about this God. What, what is he like? He's always been this way, from everlasting to everlasting. His years have no number. You, you cannot number them. Ask your children, if you have them, what that means. What does it mean that God is eternal, forever? He was from everlasting to everlasting. If you don't have children, think about it yourself or go to lunch with somebody and just comprehend that God has been there always. There has never been a time when God wasn't. His years, Job tells us, are unsearchable. In Proverbs 8.25, uh, you know, Solomon tells us, he personifies wisdom in Proverbs 8.25, and he tells us that it was wisdom that was there at creation. It was God who was there presiding over creation. And from everlasting to everlasting, he has been. Now, when we contemplate God's eternity, does it make your head hurt? A little bit. You just think about, you know, we're, we're going to talk about a thousand years as, as a day in God's sight. You think about a thousand years ago, 1,020. Does anybody know what was going on then? Most of us don't know what was going on, but even if we did, it's a distant memory for us. But for God, it's all eternal presence. God is everlasting. This reality is meant to bring praise, but it's disconcerting when we realize that we're not. We're not everlasting. We're finite. God is infinite, and we're finite. And that's what's highlighted in the next section, verses 3 through 6, is that there is a creature-creator distinction. There's a distinction between God and us, isn't there? It's like the, 
the nightlight, comparing the nightlight to the sun. There is no comparison. It's actually far greater, the, the contrast is far greater than that. God is eternal and I am temporary. And he says it in, verse, in poetic language in verses 3 through 6. You return man to the dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. There's a contrast here that is marking out our mortality. You're going to die. No one wants to hear that, right? No one wants to think about that. We, friends, we, we're often distracting ourselves with things. For some of us, it's entertainment. For some of us, it's ambition. For, for some of us, it's we're banting about, like C.S. Lewis says, with sex and all of these things that would distract us from a greater reality. And the reality is, if you look at your hand for any length of time, you are meant to see a skeleton in a grave, You're not going to be here forever. Why? Well, he tells us in verse 3, because God says, return, O man, to dust. Return, O children of man. It's, a, it's, a, it's an allusion back to Genesis 3.19 when God was cursing Adam for his sin, for eating the fruit of the tree that he told him not to do. And, and Moses is drawing our mind back to that, that book that he wrote in, in Genesis and is, is saying that the reason we are mortal is because God says you have to die. There, there's, a, there's a weight to this. The return man to dust is a, a reflection of God saying you will return to dust. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow and then when you're done you will die and you'll return to the, to the earth and you'll become worm food. And he says, return, O children of man. And that, that word, you, if you have an ESV, it might have a footnote there. That word for man is Adam. Return, O children of Adam. Everyone who has Adam as their father has death as their end. In verse 4, all generations, everyone who has Adam as their father are going to die. They have this curse. All generations are cursed. You know, in a thousand years... Forty generations will die. And it's all a moment to him. They fade and they wither uh, a thousand years in your sight, but are as yesterday. Like, it's just like when the night watch is over. It's, it's this quick thing. When it's past, you're done and you're buried. And then in verses five through six, he gives us three fast-moving images that reflect our lives. Your life is like a flood. It's, it's, a, it's water that comes in in a flash and sweeps everything away. Your life is like a dream in the morning. You barely remember it. It's vague, and, and, and that's just how your life is. Actually, your life is, is like grass. And in that climate, the grass would come up in the morning, and by the evening, the, the sun had withered it away. That is just like your life. And we distract ourselves from this reality, that we're closer to death now than we were yesterday. And you, friend, and I, we distract ourselves with a new job. 
with, with moving every so often. So we're just not bored with this life, with upward mobility or, or the dreaded illustration of the cell phone. We distract our life with all these things. But that's, we're distracting our, ourselves from a reality that God wants us to sit in for a little bit. He's eternal. We're temporal. So why? Why should we reflect on this? Why, why do we pass away so quickly? Verses 7 through 11, he tells us the reason why he's eternal and we're mortal. The eternal God punishes sinful man. Verses 7 and 8 say, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in light of your presence. Friends, the reason we are mortal is because we're sinners. And this brings fear. Why does it bring fear? You know, the, the Stoics tell us that we should just, we should uh, approach this with grave resignation. This is how life is. That's how it is. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. You know, others fight this. This reality that we will no, I'm not going to go into that dark night without fighting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scrape and I'm going to claw. I'm going to find the fountain of youth. I'm going to get that surgery. I'm going to take that pill. I'm not going to die early. I'm not going to die young. And we are afraid because God is bringing us to end by his anger. He is angry with our sin you know, if you, if you think this is just grumpy old Moses of the Old Testament, uh, Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's they push the truth down. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And God gave them up to their own passions. It tells us in verse 8 that he does not forget our sins. Not even the secret ones. The, the ones that you are trying to put away. Maybe you came to church so you could atone for some of those sins. Just to outweigh the sins that you committed this week by doing something good like going to church or giving some money into the collection plate. God knows those sins, friends. He, he does not forget them. He can't. He's an eternal God. Not even our secret sins that we want to hide. Even from ourselves. And he reiterates the shortness of our days, that we are brought to an end. They all pass away under God's wrath in verses 9 and 10. All our days pass away under his wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. And the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. One, one day, we, we will be... Like my grandfather, who died in March this year, our life will be over. Why is life so short? 
why did it go from 900 years with Methuselah? More than 900 years. Why did it go from that to 70 and 80? Why do we die at all? Well, he just told us it's because of our sin. He's angry with our sin. And don't you want a God like that? Who, who hates sin so much that he has to put it out of his sight. Only a God like that can, can deal with the extreme evil we've seen in, in, in our day, in the days before us. Only a good God can do that. But it reminds us again of our quick life. And as someone put it, life is difficult and short. The best days of our lives are full of trouble and sorrow. They quickly pass away. Like Job said, man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. So it's all happy stuff, right? Everyone's good. You know, like we should go and life is good, right? Well, thankfully, death is not the final word. Your sin and the death that your sin is due is not the final word. Notice as he moves on in verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Where there's a hinge here in verse 11 that's, that's on the door of the doorway that opens up to life. And this hinge is the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, he tells us. And he asked that question, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Wrath according to fear. And the answer is the people who are wise consider that. And only one person fully considered it as he took the wrath on himself. There would come a day when that wisdom personified in, in Proverbs chapter 8 would come in flesh and, and he would take the wrath on himself. Days are full of trouble, but the fear of God leads to wisdom. He's asking us to fully consider that we are mortal, our mortality is due to sin, and this is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of a life that matters. Augustine said, the beginning of knowledge is to know yourself a sinner and fear God. When you do, you will find wisdom in the eternal God. So it's not only that, that God, eternal God, punishes sinful man no, lastly, sinful man finds wisdom in the eternal God, verses 12 through 17. Verse 12, you know, is sort of that door that the hinge is on. It's, it's opened up, and finally, sinful man gains wisdom of God because he's learned to fear him. It's holding up the fear of the Lord as the answer to the fear of death. If you look at your mortality, if you've done that even these few moments we've had this morning, or if you do that as you go away from here and you, and you worry about the afterlife or you worry about with God can forgive your sins, the fear of the Lord is the answer to that. The way to get this life, this life that matters, is through God. Notice, he, in verse 12, he says, so teach us to number our days. Teach us to to understand that we're mortal due to our sin, and therefore let us be wise. And then he goes on, I think, to answer that question. How 
Can we escape God's wrath? Notice he says, return, O Lord. If you remember in verse 3, the Lord said, you will return to dust, O man, O Adam. You and I are going to return to dust. Yes, us. Yes, our kids. Yes, all the people that we love will return to dust. But now, man, Moses, the man of God, is, is saying, return, Lord. That one that has cursed us, unless you return to us, we have no hope. How long? This is, this is Moses asking, I think, for a reverse of the curse. Lord, you come, you reverse the curse for us. It doesn't give us a full, uh, it doesn't give us a, a full soteriology, but I think it's meant to point us to Jesus. Unless Jesus Christ has come and he reverses the curse of Adam and takes the sting of death, we will not be able to have, he will not be able to have pity on his servants. That's what he asked for in verse 13. Reverse the curse and have pity on us. You know, I said God doesn't forget sins, but Psalm 103 tells us that he chooses not to remember the sins against his people. And the only way that can happen is by him having pity on his servants. In verse 13, I think, is sort of the, the doorway into life. It's the 12 and 13 are the doorway into the life that matters. And now that the psalmist has entered the door that matters, door, you know, into the life that matters, he can now ask petitions. And that's where we're going to end. We're going to look at these six petitions that he asks for in verse 14 through 17. He's asking now for satisfaction in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Friends, he's, he's asking he, he's asking for something we all want, we all desire, but try to find it in other things. He's asking to be satisfied. He's, he, he's, asking, he's asking for something that the Rolling Stones asked for but couldn't get. Does anyone even know the Rolling Stones? I mean, I know your audience, right, Doug? Anyway, they said, I can't get no satisfaction, right? I can't get no satisfaction. And they go on in the song to talk about, you know, I, I can't get it from education or consumerism or sex, even though I try, I try, I try. When I'm riding in my car and a, and a man comes on the radio, he's telling me information about something, some, he's telling me something about useless information and it's supposed to make me awake my imagination. And I try. And I try, but I can't get satisfaction. The psalmist is saying, that is true. From everything else in life, you can't get satisfaction, but from God, he's convinced that he can get satisfaction from God. And he prays this, that we, we were made for this, friends. You were made to, have, to be satisfied. Augustine said it well, you, our hearts are restless. We were created for God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. You were created to be satisfied, and the only one that can do it is God himself. You can't get satisfaction from other things, but you can from him. Uh, I would just encourage you to read, if you, if you question whether we are really supposed to be seeking satisfaction in this life, I, I encourage you to read this psalm again and read this verse. Also, read Desiring God. 
that we were meant to gain satisfaction from God. We were meant to find our rest in him. We were meant to find that our desires are pointing to him. Now, and if you're a non-Christian and you're, you know, this is, you've just been here because you're curious or maybe you've been a part of the church for a while, but you really, you really never trusted Christ, I just, I want you to consider that the things that you desire and are trying to get satisfaction from are actually, uh, you know, the desire itself is put there by God. And he means to fulfill it. What is the chief end of man? The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If you want to be satisfied, God will satisfy you. He's the only one that can. Verse 15, he's not, this psalmist is not looking for a resigned satisfaction, just content, but not happy or joyful. Notice what he says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. He wants to be glad and rejoice. And as for many years as you have, we have seen evil. He wants, he's sort of looking for a counterbalance here. Balance out all the evil and affliction that we've seen with some happiness, God. Will you, will you do that? This is, actually, this is actually a modest request. Joel 2.25, the Lord promises that he would restore the years the locusts had eaten. Even though God afflicted his people and sent them away into exile, he said, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Paul goes even further than that. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, he's, he's asking for a full reversal of this thing. He says, when, you know, when I, well, let me just read it. When I, when I come to glory, he says this in verse 16. So, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is, be, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is saying it, it's all going to be reversed. And the affliction that you feel now, friend, even that affliction unto death, it's all going to be reversed. And you're going to look at your king fully satisfied, and you are going to say, you have made me glad. You reversed it all. It, the glory outweighs the sorrow. That, that broken relationship that you feel now, the glory is going to outweigh it. The hardship that you're going through at your job, the glory is going to outweigh it. it. There are many things going on in the life of our congregation that is painful. Friend, look to Christ the glory will outweigh all of those sorrows. God has promised. He will do it. He's going to make you glad for as many days as you were afflicted, as many years as you've seen evil. And then the last two verses, he, he is turning to our work. Well, can I get any meaning out of my work, no matter what it is? Am I a stay-at-home mom? Uh, do I work in a campus ministry? Uh, do... do uh, do I wash windows? Do I drive a truck? 
Do I code? Can I get meaning out of any of that? And even further, can I get meaning out of the other things that I do? And the psalmist is petitioning God with this new life now. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to the children of men. Let the favor, even better, let your delight, let the delight of the Lord our God be on us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now that we've been saved from his wrath by him returning to us, now now that we have found our satisfaction in him, now that he has made us delighted in him, he has been a delight to us, he now says, please do something with my life. Please show us, and it starts with God showing his power. He says, let us see your power and glory. Just reveal it to us. And not just that, but now those generations he talked about before, he brings them in again, and he says, show it to our kids. And our kids' kids, and generations and generations beyond. Show it to them. Let us see your work. Open our eyes to it. That's, let, us, let your servants see it. Let us see your glorious power to the children of men. And friends, parents, grandparents, those of you who are working with kids, I pray for more of them. The only way that happens, if God opens our eyes, God opens their eyes, they will only see it in God's word. Yes, tell them your stories of God's power in your life and how he's changed you, but don't forget the greatest story ever. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about how the saints of old longed to see that day and they lined the way telling triumphs of his grace. Let your work be shown to us. And the way it's shown to us is through his words. Tell them the stories, friends. Tell yourself the story. Memorize the scripture. Read it daily. And ask God to reveal his glorious power to you. Uh, Maybe you deal with anxiety. Maybe you deal with depression. Uh, I'm not saying to ignore doctors or medicine, but what I am saying is do not ignore the words. They are life to you. They will satisfy you. Because they will reveal God in his steadfast love. He says, establish the work of our hands. He is asking God to put his delight on us so so that our work may be meaningful. You can actually have a meaningful life, a life that matters, because God will establish it. He will delight to establish it. And, And Moses tells us to ask for this. Make us successful, O God. You define success, God, and then you make us successful. You do it. Establish the work of our hands. Let us enjoy this life. He wants us to enjoy it, experience it. And this, it's like the, the soil into which the seeds of the wild flower are sown. It's not meant to stay in the ground, right? The satisfaction that we have in ourselves is not meant to stay inside of ourselves. The, the flowers are meant to bloom into beauty and bring joy to other people. This grace that we've found through our living Christ is meant to be not a cul-de-sac 
to stay here, but to go out to everyone that we meet. It's only when we find wisdom in the eternal God will our lives matter. Wisdom that sees our mortality for what it is, a wisdom that confesses our sin, the cause for the shortness of our days, and the fear of the Lord and the faith in the truly wise one, Jesus the Christ, only then will our lives have any lasting value or meaning. If you want the truth, turn to him. He will give it to you. If you want to be satisfied, turn to his steadfast love. He will give it to you. Let's pray. Father, oh God, hear